So both of us were caught sexting in high school. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Okay. One, two, ready, go. Welcome to the Called to be Bad podcast. My name is Mariah Martin, and I feel called to be bad. It turns out I'm not the only one. Join us as we dig into all things bad, scandalous, deviant, you know, the stuff that makes good church folks squirm in the sanctuary. Why? Well, because sometimes the scandalous is spiritual, deviant is divine, and bad is beautiful. Say yes to the call and let's see what holy trouble we get into today. My sister and I were very well aware of the kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, mentality around, I think particularly around um, young women, like uh, we both had purity rings and I don't, I don't remember, like, again, this is like the implicit messaging. I don't remember why that was important to me, but it was like, I don't remember anyone telling me like, Hey, you could do this thing called purity rings. And, but it was important to me and we both had them. And, um, and then my sister, like she would be called a prude. Um, but then people would also like quack at her when she like walked down the hall because they said she like waddled cause she like had hips. So it was like this, like, um, <gasps> hips yeah I know gosh <laughs> um like it was like they would like yeah I'd be, she would be called approved but then like also sexualized and um I got the same thing too I would be called like a dick tease because I didn't want to like have sex with people um and then in college I was called a slut because I would have like I had a lot of guy friends and so they're like well she must be sleeping with all of them like if she has guy friends and so it was like but this like whole but like purity was like so important to me but then I was also like sexualized it was so confusing and I remember like the moment when I realized that like dress codes were like made only for like young women and like not as much for men and just like feeling that like gender hypocrisy um I don't want to it'd be interesting to have a young uh, to have um someone who identifies as a man on here and like like talk about purity culture um but do you know much about like how it is affected like on gender lines gender baselines yeah I mean I have a couple of things to say because like my partner identifies as a man and um we've talked pretty openly about uh, a lot of similar things that we had. Um, so both of us were caught sexting in high school. <gasps> yeah. Um, and both of us were taken to the head pastors of our church, um, for discipline and, you know, discussion of that. Um, so that was, I was surprised that we had a similar, uh, you know, like that was so parallel. And then we had other instances that were so, uh, diverged. So, um, like he, you know, had a lot of the messages about pornography, like you talked about, whereas I didn't hear anything about pornography. Um, and then things about, you know, um, so for context, my partner, he is like six foot three. He's a very large person. And um, because he's such a gentle soul, a lot of the messages he got about how threatening men are, um, he he constantly tries to like shrink himself. So he like slashes a lot um, because he's like, I, I totally blame that on this idea that I was threatening to women because of, you know, like the messages around purity culture and rape culture, which, you know, are valid. <laughs> men are very threatening. Um, but to see how that impacted him on the opposite side was really surprising to me. Um, as far as like men and women 
different. I have a couple of things that I looked into that I want to talk about. The first is in college, my junior year, I wrote a rhetorical criticism paper about Christian dating books for young women. And I went to the local Christian bookstore and I pulled four off the shelf and they were so bad, you guys. <laughs> so bad. And three of them I had read as a teenager. And like the biggest overarching theme was like, you can be a treasure or you can be a target. Um, <gasps> falling into that modest is hottest thing. And so it was so much about um, if you dress provocatively or if you put yourself out there in a certain emotional way, you're making yourself a target. Um, so it was basically saying like rape is your fault if you're making yourself a target without using the R word, you know, in those, but if you're a treasure, you know, you dress modestly. And also a big part of being a treasure is you're emotionally supportive to emotionally incompetent men, right? Like this idea that men are emotionally stunted and they can't process, they can't cry. And so that's where my partner got a lot of those, like, how do I deal with my emotions? when I'm supposed to be masculine and I'm supposed to be manly, but also non-threatening, but also, you know, whereas I, looking back, I was so, I set myself up for so much emotional abuse for people in my life because of this messaging that I'm emotionally competent and they are not. And so I need to like constantly sacrifice my well being to make sure they're okay. Um, so that's like one part of like men versus women, but another big one is the Atlanta shooting that happened. Um, it was that this year or last year uh, where I think it was this year where um, I believe it was seven or eight Asian women were killed by a white self-identifying Christian man um, who blamed it on his sexual addiction, right? Uh, he had to go kill these women because of his sexual desires. Um, my best friend from college, uh, she is a Korean American And so a lot of the messaging that came out of that, especially from the church was like, see, it was about sex. It wasn't a racist attack. It was just like a guy who struggled with sex. And this is what happens when you struggle with sex struggle. Um, But a lot of what she and I talked about is like sex, like um, sexist misogynist acts and racist acts are often hand in hand, especially for women of color. And um, like, the way that the shooter says he like, he needs to rid himself of sexual temptation. Like he's invoking that violent Christian white misogynist ideology that purity culture like surrounds. And especially for Asian women, like they're seen and like this idea of like, oh, the exotic erotic uh, thing that people place on people of color, but especially like the Asian women being subservient. A lot of like, Chinese migrants when they first came to the States, like women weren't allowed in because they were assumed to be sex workers, regardless of like their actual intention coming to the States. And so it's like that idea of like women being seen as disposable and distinguishable objects for white men to use and discard, like those acts of violence on women of color. And then on the flip side, being a white woman engaged in purity culture, like that is held up as like, whereas Asian women, black women, indigenous women are usable and discarded. White women are like the epitome of like purity in this purity culture. Hence we have issues like Emmett Till, a young black man who is seen as, you know, being inappropriate towards a white woman, threatening a white woman. And he was murdered in response by white men trying to protect, you know, their white women and white women are often used as like a threat to marginalized communities. Like, um, when people move into neighborhoods, it's men saying, well, I'm worried about my wife 
being surrounded by black men or, you know, whatever those languages are. And so like purity culture also gives us like this weird power structure that we're a part of. And like, how do you use that wisely? Like I was raised to be like explicitly fearful of black men. Um, and now that I'm older and I've, <laughs> I've had certain experiences in my life and understandings and education, it's like white men are terrifying. Like, you know, a black, like the ramifications a black man would have if he hurt me are so much worse than if a white man hurt me. And, but those were the messages I received. So I think that's an important discussion to like add in. I know it's way too big to unpack <laughs> in this, but that's just an element of purity culture that um, goes often unnoticed when we talk about it because it, it's just so ingrained in evangelical culture in general. But like definitely um, with the Atlanta shooting, I felt like it was a really good highlight of what purity culture can do and how we perceive people who are other as well. Yeah, that, yes. What Miley said. Sorry for my monologue. I'm just really excited for that question. No, I, oh, yeah. yeah. Carly, do you have thoughts? I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, I was just gonna, I mean, absolutely to push what Miley said forward. I mean, protanical culture was, is created in like a sovereign state. So if you think about the United States of America as a protanical state, um, what it does is the sovereignty or what is deemed of power and then leadership creates this like social system where they push everyone through so that they meet the like accreditation that they have to meet to survive socially and be good. And I mean, protanical culture, what we live in, what purity culture is, is you have to be able-bodied, um, in same race relationship, heterosexual monogamous. Like that is what it means to be deemed good in this sovereign state. And like, we also can attach that to Christian contemporary purity culture and say, well, the sovereign states are the church elders, you know, it's like the church bodies or the parents, whoever's in control. Um, so yeah. And then when you say, well, you know, your, your sexual lifestyle is good, no matter if you're a man or a woman, if it stays in this area, what does that push alongside that push alongs racist tendencies, queer phobic tendencies, um, class phobic tendencies. I mean, all of that stuff. Um, and then with it being botanical culture, where it's for a large system that aims for heterosexuality, it's going to push gender roles to a T. So any way that we see secular gender roles existing, that's further amplified through spiritual language in Christian culture. So that's how I was going to say, yes, it's different for men because being a man, being a man presenting in the world is a different experience than being a woman presenting in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you um, brought that up. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought um, that it, explicitly in terms of like the the privilege especially white privilege that comes with purity culture so yeah well then think about also the metaphors used in purity culture it's always like um a white flower and then if you have sex you're stepped on and you're dirty well then you're white non-white non-white is impure like it's just even the visual metaphor it skirts too close to racism homes mm -hmm. like i I've interviewed people and they tell me all the metaphors and I just think, oh, you could connect this absolutely up to racist rhetoric. Like, yep, 
yep, this is all, it's borrowed from Jim Crow era. Like it just is not, it's not hidden. That's the thing. I think it's so blatant and so big that we don't even want to acknowledge the absolute intertwined racism within it. Cause I think, I mean, that's such a big monster. Yeah. And we like hypersexualize men of color as well. Like they have animalistic tendencies towards sex. Um, Cause I mean, I wrote a paper about visual art in D and D and like the D and D monster in this piece of art was meant to look like an animalistic um, East, you know, like middle Eastern man. I think there's a lot of Arab imagery in it. Um, and he was holding a woman, like a naked woman in his hands, like King Kong style. And it was just like this threat of like, you know, the black man or the Arab man or, you know, the animalistic aggressive, which doesn't do any favors for men either, especially men of color, um, as far as like those rhetoric and those languages go. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Here, here's the question that I ask, like most people who come on the show, how, how would you respond to someone um, if uh, they said that you were like a bad Christian for your beliefs on purity, culture, or sex? <laughs> I can go first. Like, Okay. Like I, <laughs> I've never been told I've been a bad Christian. People just unfollow me on social media or like don't interact with me. I think that's like their response. The weird thing is, is I have been told by people who don't identify as Christian that I am a Christian that they feel like they can um, ask questions like why do Christians hate gay people you know like those questions they can ask knowing that there's not going to be like any level of condemnation coming out um so weirdly I've never been called a bad Christian and I also think sure okay your opinion good (laughs) yeah um I would say like first of all like if we go down to semantics, like being a Christian is supposed to be a follower of Christ, right? So like to, for someone else to look at me and assume things about my personal like relationship with Christ or my religious standing, like, okay, that's more on you than on me. Uh, You don't know me. Right. But um, also like I'm rather relatively like, new into this space of like progressive Christianity. Um, and I'm still, you know, struggling with the term Christian in general. So like if people say you're a bad Christian, I'm like, thank you, because I know what Christians are known for, you know, in, in the global space. But, um, yeah, I think like a younger me would call myself a bad Christian. And that's something that I take with like, Hey, I've learned new information and I still feel like I'm growing in love and in kindness. And that's something my sister and I have talked about a lot is like the very people who taught us that we're supposed to love other people, be sacrificial in our love, uh, fight for justice. Um, A lot of these things are the first ones to be like, why are you liberal? Why are you socially liberal? Like what? No. I wonder why. (laughs) And like my foray into like really struggling with my Christianity was when two of my best friends about the same time came out to me as gay. And I had to reconcile, like, I can no longer be loving and homophobic at the same time. And so my faith had to adjust and change in the world 
around me and I will never regret that. And I will never say like, I've really strayed into this place where Jesus doesn't love me anymore because I don't think that's accurate at all. Um, So yeah, deconstructing is just hard, like in general. And I think finding a community that, you know, can help you grow in that um, has been really helpful. But yeah, I've also been unfollowed a lot, (laughs) but that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. I like that you pointed out that like being a Christian is supposed to be about following Christ. And if you look to Christ and how he like treated women and sexuality, like a lot of the harmful messages that come from Christianity weren't coming from Jesus. I mean, he told men to pluck out their own eyes, you know, instead of blaming women and telling them to go change whatever clothing they were wearing. Um, And a lot of them came from like St. Augustine and like the church fathers, like not necessarily from Jesus. So even homophobia, you know, Mm -hmm. if you look at like the history of Bible translation, 1965, baby. Yeah. That's a a movie that has come out or will come out soon. Do you know when? Oh, you didn't know? There's a movie that they're making, I think called 1965. And it's talking about the translation. I'll have to look that up and put it in the notes. But yeah, there's like a documentary about the translation issues, I think coming out, I've seen it all over TikTok. So (laughs) I think like one thing that Miley said that I remember thinking this is, you know, that label of Christian, I think to me, my late, the label I use as a Christian is just as important to me as the label I use as feminist or academic. And those labels are only good to me if I actually live by them and I dissent through them. So I have to be a dissenting feminist and critique my sense of feminism constantly. Like it must be fluid. It must be like withholding of critique so that it can better, I can better it. So I'm not just like being sucked into white feminism. Um, So like, I always, I remember reading this book about where it was like, feminism doesn't work unless you can be critical of feminism. Like it has to critique itself. It won't work if it can't do that. Like to be a Christian, you can't be a Christian until you are able to kind of stop and say, hmm, am I doing what I really long to do with this sense of self as I interact in my world? Um, so I, I think just how I view my Christian label, I view it the same way I view my feminist label or academic label. I can only do it. I can only wear it if I do the hard work of making sure it actually does good and is good. And it can be critiqued constantly by me. And also I allow others to critique it. So. Wow. I love that so much. Your label is only as like strong as, as your critique of it. And I, and I think that that's a really beautiful um, counter message to this idea within Christianity that your faith needs to be like above doubt and that somehow doubt is antithetical to faith. Whereas like, I believe it's like foundational. Um, so I, yeah, I like that a lot. The, yeah, I don't want to rephrase it because you said it so well. So <laughs> well, also it's just like faith is not Faith does not equal your religious label too. So if a Christian were to be like, well, if you're going to take your Christian label down for a little bit for reconstruction, deconstruction time, then you're not being a believer. And it's like, no, I can believe whatever the hell I want to believe. I don't need this like fun little Instagram bio label to be able to present that to the world. So, yeah. Yes. Preach. I love it. Um. 
Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts? Um, uh, any final advice for someone struggling with purity culture or trying to heal? You know, Miley, you said there is a way through. So. Yeah. Um, I would say a couple of things. First of all, therapy is actually really helpful. Like, I think that's another thing. Sometimes Christians can be like really anti-therapy or feel like sex is so private that it's not something that, you know, you go to therapy about, but having an outside perspective is very helpful. Um, and then also I listened to a podcast called Dirty Rotten Church Kids, and uh, they had a really interesting episode about this. And a woman came on, I think it was Brenda Marie Davies. Um, she's a sex educator, YouTuber. And something she said really stuck out to me that I wish I had known. Um, she talked about as she came into adulthood, she decided that saving herself for marriage was just not going to work. And so she went on a, like a spree of like sexual interactions that she's not healthy, not good, not well done because it was like the classic story of like, what's forbidden. And then you dive into it. And she said, my life and my relationship with Christ changed tremendously when I gave in and invited God into the bedroom. Um, which is something that we're not taught to do until we're married, if that. And um, she said that she had an experience where she decided, okay, God, I am going to sleep with people and I want you to be a part of it with me. And there was an instance where she prayed before she uh, slept with this person and she got a really bad feeling about it, but she ignored it and did it anyway. And then that relationship ended up being like really hair, like crash and burn experience. And she was like, oh, God really did come into the bedroom with me. Like I should have listened to that still small voice, you know? And um, she talked about how she is now partnered and they're in a monogamous relationship, but they're not married and they're not, you know, subscribing to these things. But she's like, I feel so much more at peace and so much more able to focus on the other important parts of my faith in a way that I couldn't when I was so obsessed with the guilt and shame slash rebellion around sex. Um, and I know this messaging is like, I don't know. I don't know that I would have been ready for it when I was in high school or college to be like, invite God into the bedroom and it'll all be fine. Cause everything I'd been told was like, God does not belong in the bedroom. It's shameful until you're married. But I, it, I felt so much envy for her in that moment of like, I wish I had heard that that's even a possibility. And I wish that I had incorporated that into my life um, at a time when I was being as sexually active as you can be without PIV sex. <laughs> you know, I just wish that messaging had been clear. So to people who are in purity culture who are struggling, I that that is an option and it may not be an option for everybody, but the more we invite God into every space of our life, I feel like the more we'll be able to be full people in a way that, you know, like, full spiritual people, if, you know, Christianity is what we subscribe to. So, um, yeah, that was just a message that I was like, wow, really wish I'd heard that. So there you go. People. Yeah. It reminds me my, uh, spiritual director one time, like point blank asked me, uh, what do you think God would think of your sex life, uh, uh, uh with my, with my spouse? And I was like, oh, I like, I hadn't thought about it like that. And like, I was happy that my response was like, I think God would be delighted. You know, it wasn't like, <laughs> like, like this, like bad thing. Like, like you're talking about like the, the message of invite God into the bedroom, like for some, since our messaging has been so painful, like it'd be like, oh my gosh, no God, don't look away. But like, yeah. said, like, no, God is, God can be delighted by, um, our sex lives, you know, like let's flip that around. Yeah. Um, 
What about you, Carly? Oh, well, I didn't grow up in purity culture, so I don't have like a personal thing. I advocate for everything Miley said, find podcasts, go to, go to therapy. Even if you struggle with purity culture or not, just go to therapy. I do it. It's <laughs> um, but one thing is, cause you brought up the Mariah, you brought up the come as you are book. Mm-hmm. Um, my participants talk about, you know, what helps them. And that book has been one that's come up. Um, I think a lot of them quote Sue Monk kids work as well. Um, for me, I've like tried to read some of those books so that I understand what my participants are going through, like what feels of like relevatory truth to them. And one person that, um, people suggested to me that I interviewed, and then I ended up getting really into them as Nadia Bowles Weber. So I just think her work, um, she does podcasts, she does like prayers that she hosts online. So if you need more of like a spiritual place, I think Nadia would be great. Um, also there are like many Facebook groups that you can become part of. That's how I heard about Mariah's podcast, um, and was able to listen to some of it. So, um, just like, I think it's helpful to find people, who are experiencing purity culture who have, um, and to just like, see what questions they're asking. And I think through the rhetorical power of identification, you can feel seen, you can feel known in that. Um, and then you can talk about it more freely because you'll have language, you'll have tools to be able to unpack it then. Yeah, I think I think it would be if you're at a place where you can do this, I think it is really refreshing to dive into really sex positive and sex curious places. Um, like if you I mean, it might be a little bit uh, whiplash, uh, experience of whiplash at first. But um, yeah, and this might be diving in at the deep end. But I really love um, Hannah Witten's podcast doing it. Um, she also has a book I think I have on my shelf called doing it. Um, but yeah, if you're just ready for just like some sex positivity, some sex science, nerdy stuff, um, that's a, that's a good podcast. I like it. Well, thank you so much, Carly and Miley for being on here. This has um, been a really interesting conversation and I will think about it for a long time. Um, and, uh, we usually end with a blessing. So would it be okay if I bless you listeners and viewers? Of course. Thank you. Um, Carly and Miley and all you baddies, um, may you leave from this space, um, carrying that idea that if you've been steeped in purity culture, it may take a while to heal from that. Um, your trauma, your wounds are valid. Um, we see and we hear them and, um, hopefully this has provided some resources one step at a time that you can, that you can move forward, um, and enter into that healing. Um, and may you eventually arrive at a place and know that uh, God is delighted with whatever sex you are or are not having. Amen. <laughs> thank you ever. so much. Thank you for having me. This has been really good. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Of course. That's all for this episode of Called to be Bad. Keep being your bad, beautiful selves, and I will see you next time.